Hello, hello, and welcome to the Cinema Lounge Podcast, where we chill and just talk about movies. My name is Garrett Inman. I am your host for today and every day, or at least every Monday, when new episodes of the Cinema Lounge come out. Uh, I am very excited today because I'm doing a movie review. Instead of like an entire podcast episode just kind of talking and ranting about a movie or whatever this is in this this is going to be an actual like kind of full-on review uh with a little bit of tangents as always um today i'm reviewing shang chi and the legend of the ten rings uh which came out into theaters uh this past friday i watched it on thursday uh, because I was bored and did not have a lot of going on. I say that, but I, I had an assignment due at 9 o'clock the next morning, and I was just procrastinating. So I said I had nothing going on to rationalize it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, today we're talking about Shang-Chi. I got some thoughts about it uh, and some thoughts about the, like, astounding po- amount of positive feedback from it. Like, not just, oh, yeah, it was a good Marvel, like, like, it is it's getting some really really positive reviews uh which had me worried going in to be honest but before we kind of go and talk about all of that we are going to delve into this week's headlines uh just like three or four things to be honest uh not a lot of big news just some stuff that i happened to stumble across so let's talk about the first thing uh, up on the screen, I got a poster for The Rocketeer, which was a 1970s movie, I believe, maybe the 80s. Uh, I watched this for the first time either no, a couple summers ago, I believe. I rented it from the library, uh, brought it home, and fell in love with it. Uh, it's just, it's such a fun, unique movie. I love the Tomorrowland vibes it gave off. Uh it it was it was a fun movie that just kind of like takes you back to this time in which technology was new and exciting instead of just hey the apple has a new iphone coming out you know this was this was a time of technological advancement and and innovation something that is just so not familiar uh these days so going back to a time where people were astounded by a jetpack or this man flying around fighting Nazis on on Zeppelins. Uh, But the reason I have that poster up is that we are going to be getting a new Rocketeer movie that will be exclusively Disney+. Uh, And I, I, you know what, I'm fine with that. I'm down for that. Uh, If that's kind of how Disney+, Plus wants to treat their service, I am fine with that. Uh, If they want to like leave their service for basically hey we're just gonna kind of go back and revive some of our old properties to kind of play with them on our streaming service while we save the big budget original stuff for the big screens i think that is a good way to use your streaming service (laughs) uh but uh, you know what i'm curious to see this i also found out while i was looking for a poster that there is apparently a disney jr show about the rocketeers so uh that that's fun so if you have kids i guess go have them check it out uh we also got an announcement about dc fandom this is like a little poster for it i guess teasing everything they're going to be talking about uh 
but yeah, DC Fandom is kind of like the big DC Comics event every year where uh, it's exclusive DC content. They unveil some fun stuff, uh, and they announced a little bit of what they're going to be revealing. Uh, so I'm just going to go over that real quick. We're going to get a new trailer for The Batman. <laughs> uh, every time I read that title, it's just kind of all I just picture is either like Joker or some villain just saying it because no one refers to Batman as the Batman unless you're one of his villains. <laughs> the Batman. We're going to kill uh, the Batman. You know, like that. I'm sorry for people listening. <laughs> but, you know, tangent aside, uh, we're also getting a first look at Black Adam starring... Uh, Rock the Dwayne Johnson, or Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who, however you prefer to call him, Rock or Dwayne, uh, he's going to be Black Adam. We're going to get a first look at that. I think uh, Netflix favorite Noah Centineo is going to be in it as Adam Smasher, which I, j I don't know why, <laughs> uh, considering he, I, as far as I'm aware of, has nothing to do with Black Adam. We'll just kind of have to see. Uh, we're getting a sneak peek at... The long-delayed Flash movie that has been in production hell for, what, like, three or four or five years? Uh, they man they can't manage to get it off the ground, but seems like they finally got the gears going, and they're going to give us a sneak peek at that, which comes out next year. Uh, and we're going to get behind-the-scenes footage of Aquaman 2 and Shazam 2, which just wrapped up production this past week. Uh both of which are coming out next year. DC has a giant lineup of content. I'm excited to see what it is, what what comes out and to kind of gauge whether or not some of this will be good. Because on one hand, I'm excited to see more DC stuff because it seems like they've let their directors kind of do whatever they feel like more than Marvel does. But on the other hand, uh, they seem to be taking the same missteps as Marvel. Uh... And I just don't want to experience another another franchise fatigue. Because uh, next year we'll be getting Peacemaker, Shazam 2, Aquaman 2. I think we're getting Black Adam and The Flash. Just so much coming out next year from DC. And it's like, oh boy, I don't really want to finish up tw to, uh, 2022 just going, yeah, no more of that either, please. <laughs> And uh, lastly, I guess for the images, I'm just going to bless you with this picture of uh, Christopher Lloyd as Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. Uh, I forget the, the kid actors, but the, the kid from It is playing Morty. But, but what I really want to focus on is Christopher Lloyd, who plays Doc Brown in Back to the Future, who inspired the creation of Rick Sanchez, is now playing Rick Sanchez. Uh, we have come full circle with that. So, uh, you're welcome on that end. And the last piece of news, I didn't feel like pulling up a graphic because it's just a quick aside. Venom 2 is going to be PG-13. It got delayed to next year, so who cares? <laughs> it, it That brought my excitement down. for the, I haven't seen the first one, but the second one seemed like it was going to be fun. However, you're going to take a movie about Venom and Carnage... A man who literally is a, a serial killer 
and just loves to slaughter folks, you're not going to let that be rated R and just made it, make it a bloody good time. You're going to make it PG-13 and wimp out on that. Okay. I, you know what? You do you. It's, it, it, it's your movie. <laughs> if I was in charge, I would do something different. Uh, but yeah, that, that's it for the weekly headlines. I just wanted to roll through that real quick and jump into the official Shang-Chi review. This is the first actual review uh, on the podcast. And originally I was going to like try to do Iron Man 2 and then like in a, a side with Shang-Chi like I did with Incredible Hulk and Black Widow and kind of build my way up through the MCU. But it might be more fun to start at opposite ends and work my way towards the middle. Kind of. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about Shang-Chi this week. Next week I will watch Iron Man 2 and talk about that with you. <laughs> that rhymed. I, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Yep, that that that's my mindset right there. <laughs> that, oh my gosh! For context, also I went to bed about twelve hours ago at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Got about four hours of sleep, so I am running on low fumes. Uh, so that that's why I might be a little more loopy and lightheaded. Uh, I don't need to consume alcohol to intoxicate myself. I just need to not sleep. So. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> Shang-Chi. Before we start the review, <laughs> to further delay it, um, there was something I kind of saw while I was looking for some, uh, some like, graphics or whatever, uh, and this is gonna be really quick, this doesn't really have to do a lot with the movie, but I, it's just kind of something that has rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Uh, and with a lot of movies, uh, so it star Shang-Chi stars Simu Liu. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. I mean, no disrespect for not dis, uh, for, for not pronouncing it right if I did. Uh, but when he first got cast, he was like a small actor and, you know, not a household name. I think he's been in a few episodes of TV and that was about it. So good for him on that. Uh, I, I like seeing kind of these smaller no-name actors being able to have the opportunity to become household names and be Marvel superheroes because that's the dream <laughs> for a lot of people. Uh, and he just, he seemed like a really cool, nice guy. Now that we've gotten closer to the movie coming out and now that the movie has come out, he has started to say more and more things uh, that have irked me a little bit. And I just, nothing against him. I'm sure he's passionate about some of this stuff, but it's like the main thing was where he was talking about how there, this is going to be the first movie to, uh, have positive Asian role models. We're finally getting rid of stereotypes and all this. And I'm just sitting here going, I, that, that statement rubbed me the wrong way. Cause it's just, dude, I, I get if you're excited to see Asian representation and all Asian cast in the MCU, Fair enough if you're excited about that. And if that's something that, like, you care about and is important, fair enough. But to say, like, this is the first I'm so proud to get a, do away with stereotypes and allow Asian people to see themselves in movies. And that this is going to be the first uh, great ra Asian role model. And not have the self-awareness of, A, having two 
uh, pretty big Asian actors who are in a lot of action movies or were in a lot of action movies uh, in your film, and you're going to say that, you're, you're going to have Michelle Yeoh and Hua Yuen in your movie and say, no, I'm the first positive Asian mo- role model, is is really like, dude, really? <laughs> like, you're going to disrespect your own castmates, not to mention Bruce Lee, Jet Li, uh, Jackie Chan, Donnie Yen, uh, shoot, who, who's some others? Ming-Na Wen, who is in the MCU, as, uh, Agent May, who is also a positive Asian role model, a female, no less. <laughs> um, you're gonna have actors like that, a lot of whom their movies inspired this movie's style, and you're going to come out and be like, no, I'm the first positive Asian role model. We're finally doing away with stereotypes while I play an Asian kung fu master fighting against a conquering warlord Asian guy who now runs a secret ninja uh, assassin cult ring thing. And my sister runs an underground fight club. Like, do you not have any self-awareness, man? Like, be excited about the movie. Be excited you're starring in a Marvel movie. Uh, just, just, just don't try to make it a thing. And I hate that, I think part of it is just a lot of journalism, uh, outlets are the ones promoting this. And I think he's just kind of getting wrapped up into it. I'm not, I don't really want to blame him for that because I'm sure he's getting caught up in the hype and he's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta talk about this because that's what people are writing about. But it's like, I'm going through all these articles and it's just the only thing they want to talk about this movie isn't, wow, we're finally getting like this big uh, superhero movie with with Kung Fu that's inspired by a uh, Eastern cinema. Nah, we're, we, we want to focus on the fact that uh, there's a lot of Asian people in here and we're going to treat it like that has never happened before. We haven't, we've never had Asian uh, characters or Asian uh leads in movies and i'm just that kind of stuff annoys me because it's like who cares like just make a good movie and if the movie's good cool you know (laughs) promote it as a good movie uh don't try to con like let the movie speak for itself in terms of that and let the the fact that you have to point this out kind of feels antithetical to your goals if every time there's a movie with an asian lead or, or or a minority lead that you have to call attention to it makes it feel like makes it feel unnatural rather than naturally integrating into it and letting the movie thrive on its own because then that feels more natural you're you're that feels like more of an accomplishment than trying to artificially boost numbers and all that kind of stuff uh but the other thing is there's been a bunch of quotes saying this might be from Simu but it could just be from journalists saying like this movie's going to to change the world. It's going to be culturally significant. It's just a, it's a Marvel movie, man. It that's all that's really all it is. They did this kind of stuff with Black Panther, and now we're four years away from Black Panther, and people look back at it and say, "Yeah, it was a good, solid movie." It didn't culturally shift anything. It didn't do anything to the broader society or anything like that. It was just a good superhero movie. And that is how people see it. So I, I just don't understand why you have to hype that kind of stuff up. Because at the end of the day, it's just a superhero Marvel movie that's not really going to leave a 
giant cultural impact besides being an MCU movie. That's just little rant of of a pet peeve of mine that it is happening where every Marvel movie that comes out has to be treated like this cultural icon. Black Widow was a little bit like that, where it's like, finally, we had this strong woman in the lead role fighting back against the oppressors, uh, oppressors and this is going to leave such a giant cultural staple uh, in the U.S. And then four or five months out, most people are just like, yeah, Black Widow was okay. Or, yeah, I had fun with Black Widow. No one's talking about the cultural impact of it. It's just something that you're, it's just a cheap way to try to promote the movie. That That's all it feels like. Uh, but yeah, that aside, finally getting <laughs> into the movie itself and judging the movie by its merits, not the outside, even though I will say that kind of stuff irks me enough to where it want, it makes me want to not like the movie. From here on out, let's do this. I'm going to give a quick spoiler-free review of Shang-Chi. I want to say Shang-Chi because I'm a stupid American, but it's Shang-Chi, the way it's pronounced. Uh, I'll give a short review of Shang-Chi and, like, non-spoilers, and then we'll talk in depth a little bit about it. So, my non-spoiler thoughts, um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is a solid Marvel movie especially after, in my opinion, a big misstep with Black Widow. It kind of recorrects and decides to do something different enough, but still fits inside the MCU. It doesn't feel formulaic as much. It still relies too much on CGI and still relies on too much of the uh, MCU jokes, which I think hinder the movie a little bit, but it is anchored by actors who know what they're doing, who are having a good time, uh, and... It has a solid lead role with a good antagonist uh, with just like a couple of nitpicks uh, that I can't really get into without getting into spoilers. Uh, But overall, it's a solid movie that feels like an ode to Eastern cinema uh, within the MCU with a lot of cool fight scenes, cool action set pieces that, you know, kind of relies too much on CGI, but overall, fun time, I, I you know, I, I'd say, hey, if you got a free night, go watch it, it's harmless, <laughs> in terms of, I don't know, whether or not you're gonna waste an evening, you're, you'll, most likely, you'll come away going, yeah, that was a good time, I had a fun time, uh, 7 out of 10, <laughs> 7 out of 10, go go enjoy yourself with this one. Okay. Spoiler talk now. Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, <coughs> excuse me. Gonna have to keep reminding myself of that. Shang-Chi is played by Simu Liu. I think Simu, Simu Liu <laughs> does a good job in his role. Uh, his interactions with Aquafina. Brings out a little bit of charm in him. Uh, I think he does the emotional moments uh, solid. The issue is Shang-Chi as a character doesn't really feel impactful to the story. He's a little charming at the beginning. He has his big action set pieces at the end. In between, he's kind of just going from place to place doing his thing. As of right now, I'm not head over... 
head over heels about <laughs> all of this. I know a lot of reviews are hyping Simu Liu and Shang-Chi as like, this is going to be the next uh, Captain America or Iron Man. He's going to be a giant staple in the MCU. I'm going to say hold your horses. Uh, he's just a, he's a fine character played by a solid actor who does a good job. That's what it is. Uh, and I guess I'll address like the, the overly positive reviews at the instance I'm into it. But yeah, the reviews overhyped this movie a lot. So if you go in with very high expectations, you're most likely going to be disappointed. And I say that in saying, it's a good movie. I went in with pretty low expectations to counterbalance. Because, uh, crit and I said I was going to get into this later. I'm getting into it now. Screw it. There's no structure to this show. All the critics coming out of the screenings and stuff are going, This is the best movie of the year. It's the best superhero movie of the year. Best cape movie of the year. Some of the best action I've ever seen. And... I read all that and I said, oh no, this movie's about to suck. <laughs> typically, typically critics suckle at the studio's tees. They just want money. They want the free screenings. They want to be able to get the clicks and get money off of it. So they're going to hype up every movie the studio's put out. And nine times out of ten, it's just going to, it might not even be their honest thoughts. They're just going to be like, yes, Disney, you, you want to... You want to pay me money to go see this movie? Okay. The movie was amazing, guys. It was the best thing I've ever seen. Thanks, Disney. Get more money, please. More money, please. Oh, the next MCU movies come out? Well, it's the best Marvel movie I've ever seen. Best superhero movie I've ever seen. Uh, it's it's the, the shots in it? Best looking movie I've ever seen. Thanks, Disney. More money, please. That, that, that's the cycle. I don't, I don't want to say everyone who came out and said, Oh, this movie's amazing. Are, are like studio shows there's a lot of them who are but it was just really weird how overly positive this movie was was being portrayed as uh, this movie was being portrayed as like this masterpiece of cinema and i'm just like it's just your average marvel movie you know and that might just be me i know a lot of people who really enjoyed it uh so once again, it's like, it's all based on how you perceive it. Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of my side tangent on that. Aquafina, uh, crap, I forgot I have pictures. Aquafina plays Katie. <laughs> there we go. Plays Katie, uh, who's kind of like the sidekick, but also like, I don't know, Shang-Chi and Katie kind of operate as like a duo, even though I don't think Katie's an actual character in the comics, which is very strange, but as the movie go goes on, they just become like the dynamic duo rather than like, it would be, it would be similar to if we got a Batman origin story and Batman just kind of is introduced and he already is friends with Dick Grayson and they just become superheroes together. That, that's what it felt like, I guess. So it's a bit strange. Uh, I'm not going to complain about it too much in terms of that aspect because I think Aquafina does bring out the best in Simu Liu. Uh, they have a lot of good chemistry. My issue is, it's Aquafina. <laughs> I don't want. <clears throat> I don't want to be mean about it. But Aquafina is one of the most annoying 
people in Hollywood to me. In terms of their acting and their humor. Uh, she seems to be like the it uh, comedic actor right now. Uh, I know... Uh, shoot, what was his name? Kin, Kin Jung? Uh, I think that was... I, I feel bad that I can't remember his name. The guy from Community. Uh, Kin... Kin Jung. Kin Jung or Kin Jung was like a very popular comedic actor for a while. Uh, you know, you had Richard Pryor back in the day. Uh, George Carson. Or... George Carson or George Carlton? Carl... Carlson. Whatever. There are certain comedic actors who just get super popular and every studio wants to use them. Aquafina's kind of at that point right there. She was in uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, which I thought she was the worst part of. Uh, the thing is, for me, her comedy style does not work for me. I think she is very unfunny. But I think she's a great actress when it comes to drama. So... I progressively liked Aquafina's character more and more and more because at the beginning she's supposed to just be spitting out jokes and all that, and she gets along well with Simu Liu. Aquafina and them and, and Simu Liu have great chemistry. The jokes just didn't work. But in the third act, she does not do a lot of joking. She actually has to settle down and have a proper character arc, and I think the proper character arc worked really well. And Katie in Aquafina's dramatic acting was done really well. She's a very good dramatic actor. If you watch a movie like The Farewell, that is Aquafina's best performance because there is little to no comedic timing or comedic uh, elements to it. And if it is, it's not her normal shtick of being loud and annoying. <laughs> uh, so, with Katie, it's like, on one hand, I find her to be very annoying, but at the very end of the movie where she finally has to go through this character arc of going, I can't just go through the motions and be just be on this loop up for the rest of my life. I have to I have to have something for myself and, and chase something. Uh which she finds fulfillment in doing archery and helping take down uh big bad evil soul sucky man <laughs> dragon thing. We'll get to that. Uh, in a second, but her being able to help out with that learning how to do archery and, and be a proper archer felt earned, felt, uh, felt like it was well done. And I think the entirety of third, the third act, I thought Katie was a great character. Uh, just the buildup of the humor that that's kind of how I feel about her. Next we got, uh, uh, Shang-Chi's sister. I think it's chilling. Maybe don't hate me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that's might be how it's pronounced. Uh, Chiling is forgettable. To be honest, I kept forgetting she was in the movie. <laughs> she she has an entire post credit scene dedicated to her, and I had to remind myself four times that that existed because, in my opinion, this character is kind of forgettable. She's just kind of like stereotypical bad a female character who like oh yeah i'm criminal i can beat up anyone and it's just like yeah okay like i'm not saying she's bad for me i just the character didn't feel like she went through a character arc i appreciated her origin story but i don't feel like they did enough with it to really justify her being in the movie uh 
So yeah, it. I don't really have a lot to say. I feel like Chung Chi's sister was forgettable. Uh, and then you know, like I said earlier, Michelle Yeoh and Wa Yuen are in it as uh, minor supporting roles, and they were good. Uh, they were just kind of these villagers. They did a solid job. They were barely in the movie, so I can't really say a lot. Uh, finally, on our hero side, we have uh, Morris. That's Morris. <laughs> when I was watching the movie, I said, uh, now there is our marketability character. Uh, they're probably going to start selling plushes of him. Lo and behold... Looking for a picture of Morris, I found a picture of a Morris plush. They are already selling. <laughs> this thing is ugly as crap. What what in the world? It's it's a what chicken dog thing th with six arms and like I don't know, two butter uh, two pairs of butterfly wings. No face. Like I get it's supposed to look a little weird and mystical, but like Morris does nothing in this movie. The, the, like, he, he barely has a presence to where he's not even, like, in the trailers. <laughs> he's not even in the, any of the trailers. The only reason we knew Morris was going to be in the movie was the, the Lego sets. And to me, he serves no narrative purpose except to show inexplicably show up outside of the village to lead Shang-Chi, Katie, uh, Xiling, and uh, a fun cameo uh trevor slattery from uh iron man 3 comes in i was going to talk about him later but i'll just mention him right now briefly all four of them are trying to find a way into the village and morris just kind of inexplicably shows up and has just been like friends with trevor slattery for a while to where trevor can understand him and then he shows them back to the forest and they go morris or well the villagers don't call him morris but they're like oh look he found his way back so what, this man, th this thing just, like, kind of wandered out of the village and they just inexplicably stumbled upon our heroes and said, yeah, I'll help you get in. <laughs> like, I, it, it was something that just completely bothered me because I'm like, I'm waiting for an explanation as to why Morris wasn't in the village. Because that is something that it, if you don't explain, it's just plot convenience. It's just a convenient way for the characters to get where they need to go for the third act to happen so they can have their final battle and stop Wu. That's all that it was. And I was waiting for something like that. And it never happened. <laughs> like, I, I, and they, it's a simple fix. Literally, I would just rewrite the line when they first show up and Morris runs up to Michelle Yeoh's character. And instead of just, look who found his way back, I would have had her say... Hey, you found them. To heavily... That would imply that the villagers sent Morris out to go look for Shang-Chi. Because she also said, I've been wanting to meet you for some time. She might not even be completely aware of what Wenwu's planning, but she knows Wenwu's out there. Or maybe Michelle Yeoh just was taking it upon herself and sent Morris out when she found out she was going to be... Uh, I think she's an aunt, right? When she found out her sister was having kids... She could have just have sent Morris out to look for him, and Morris ended up getting distracted and lost and hanging out with Trevor Slattery. That would... All in just changing the one line, Hey, you found them. Would have completely... Like, literally would have just explained it all the way, and this one little nitpick 
Uh, this one plot convenience, in my opinion, could have been easily fixed because you could you could have implied the entire story. But instead, Morris just happens to be with Trevor Slattery and says, "Yeah, I guess I'll take you back to the village in which I live that is sacred and like no one's supposed to actually go there." But because failed Hollywood actor over here said so, might as well. Also, if you're just listening and hear this. This is my water bottle. I got ice in it. I need it cold. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, this thing right here is one of my biggest problems in the movie. <laughs> it, some CGI chicken dog rabbit thing. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Let me talk about the antagonist now. First off, we got our main antagonist. Winwoo. The Mandarin, although he's he doesn't like being called the Mandarin, as he as he said. I like how they kind of introduce him and pay homage towards Iron Man three by bringing in Slattery and saying, "Hey, no hard feelings," but also kind of teasing is like, only white people would expect me to be called the Mandarin, and that the Mandarin would bring down the U.S. And it's like, okay, that's kind of poking fun. I think it's Stanley who came up with the Mandarin, but kind of poking fun at. At the Mandarin's conception, but also going like, you know, it's it's not we don't hate it. It's just kind of it's kind of a funny little joke. I appreciated that. Uh, but when we as a villain, or when we as a character, let me put it first. When we as a character, I think is a really good character, probably the best character in the movie. I think uh, Tony Leung did a really good job. He's He gave the best performance of the film. Uh, I just have two small nitpicks. Uh, while he's a good character and he's fleshed out, the reason I said as a character, I stopped myself when I said as a villain, because he doesn't feel like a villain the more time goes on. He starts out and he's this world-conquering warlord, and then he reforms his ways when he meets uh, Shang-Chi and... Uh, Chi-Ling's mother uh, in a v probably the best scene in the movie where they do this fight dance thing that uh, I know a lot of people said this but uh, this also occurred to me and I this was before I watched any reviews so but it was very reminiscent of Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon uh, where it's clearly not like a real hand-to-hand -hand like fight it's very graceful very mystical they're kind of floating around via CGI and all that kind of stuff. And there's just this grace to it, right? It's this dance they're having and their entire relationship forming. That is the best scene in the movie because it's all subtlety. It's just this beautiful illustration of them falling in love uh, in their first meeting. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but the issue is, now that he's kind of reformed, quote-unquote... He's not a bad guy anymore. He becomes bad guy, but not bad guy. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, to quote, uh, what, what was his name from Wreck-It Ralph? Uh, Xandar, whatever his name is. Probably not Xandar. <laughs> I'm making, making myself sound like an idiot. Uh, and then his wife dies and he turns to the rings to kind of cope with that. And the rest of the movie is him desperately trying to get his wife back. Which is a good motivation. He's driven by tragedy. Driven driven by grief. 
and him doing that puts him in the way of our heroes. The issue is, this is the Mandarin, a warlord, <laughs> the leader of an elite clan of assassins. And these guys are following him to the end of the earth so he can punch a wall to try to get his wife back. And it just, it seems weird to me. And also, it it really makes it hard for him to feel villainous. Like, there are plenty of villains driven by grief, but they do evil things. And this guy, the worst he does is punch a hole in the wall because he's being manipulated by soul-sucky demon man. <laughs> demon dragon. Uh... Not because he's acting of his own volition. He's not going, I think this might be a way to get my wife back. I'm going to kill anyone who gets in my way just to get her back. That would make him a villain with a reasonable motivation. Well, not a reasonable, like a tragic motivation. A, a motivation that you can get behind, right? It's like, and maybe get behind is also probably sympathetic motivation. Let's put it that way. Like with Thanos, Thanos is the perfect MCU villain because he does villainous, he literally kills half of all life in the universe because he, th he believes that that's going to allow life to grow. He did a villainous thing, but because of his convictions and his motivations are sympathetic, you can kind of go with that, right? So you fully understand him as a character but he's also still a villain. The issue with Wenwu became he stopped being a villain just to be a sympathetic character. And so it felt like the movie was kind of treading water until Soul Sucky Demon Man came out. I just keep saying Soul Sucky Demon Man. It's a drag. Soul Sucky Demon Dragon comes out for the final CGI fight of the film. My second problem, and this is this is a very, very small nitpick. This is in no way to say that this is like a big problem. <laughs> this is such a tiny nitpick. Those little, the rings he has in the movie are a little goofy in my opinion. Uh, his little, I guess they're bracelets. They call them rings, but they're like ring toss rings you'd find at a circus. And he uses them as like rocket boosters or like whiplash whips. And I'm like... Yeah, I guess that's cool and all. They're a little goofy, but the Mandarin in the comics had actual, like, rings. He would, like, rings you would put on your finger. Uh, and he would have ten for each finger. That's why he, it was the ten rings. Which I think would just be a little bit more cool, <laughs> in my opinion. Where, like, someone, try this army steps to him in the beginning of the movie, and he just, like, goes, like, whips out the shield to block from arrows, and then just, like, whip all these people... Uh, and all this stuff where if he just had like the rings on his finger, literally just like literally lifting a finger, he could lift a finger and wipe them all out. Uh, and hold on, let me pull up a list of the rings. Each ring does different, has, has different abilities, which I think would have been also a lot cooler to make him feel more formidable. So it's not just like, oh, I have these power rings, I can... No, it's like the Infinity Gauntlet, except there's ten of them. There's ten, like, powers, powers he can pull from. But there's the Zero Ring, which emits an ice blast uh, that of near absolute zero. Uh, so he could freeze people. He's got the Lighter Ring, which basically manipulates people and puts them under his, uh, under his mental control. So he, he has a mind... 
uh, control ring. He's got the lightning ring, which shoots lightning. Uh, the incandescence ring that shoots fire. The daemonic ring, which uh, shoots inner like it's an energy projection uh, ring. But also he used it once to create a bunch like create gravity powerful enough, uh, but to make Iron Man bury himself by trying to walk forward. The Nightbringer ring, which emits a field a, a field of darkness. The spectral ring, which can destroy the bonds between atoms and molecules of the object that it strikes. Also, some of these have recharge times to, to kind of, you know, uh, power balance him a little bit. He's got the spin ring, which creates a vortex, so like a tor torpedo or something. Not tornado. So he can create, like, tornadoes with the ring. He's got the influence ring, uh, which... It, it seems like they're concussive, like concussive blasts, blasts like uh, Cyclops eyes, uh, the Remaker <laughs> ring, which can literally rearrange the atoms or, or molecules of a substance, speed them down, speed them up or slow down their movement. So like he can pretty much have the power to change the physical state of objects, the state of matter of objects. By lift, I think that's his, uh, his thumb. Literally by moving his thumb. So if he's riding a horse, he could literally just go, oh, oops, I hit the mic. Sorry. He could literally go, boop, and just, oh, now your eyes, they're on your butt. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, your bones are now just like liquid. That's kind of dope. That would be, in my opinion, a very interesting and formidable foe. Instead of just kind of whippy rings or, you know, stuff that just kind of like, oh, well, that's the whiplash whips that he's doing right there. Or, oh, he's using a double jump. It, it would make him feel a lot more for formidable and it would make these rings feel like they're special mystical items. As it is right now, those rings are just kind of like normal power boosters that can somehow make him not age. Which is a little less cool. So, small nitpick. But I think if you if you made if you gave him those rings, he might come off just a little too overpowered. I would admit. Uh, but he would come off as a lot more intimidating, uh, a lot more interesting fighting. I think the fight scenes are good in this movie. Don't get me wrong. But imagine if Shang Chi's going up against this dude, and he's literally like throwing ice blasts, fire blasts, like literally everything out with the kitchen sink at him. He's uh. He can mind control his sister and make her fight him while he's sitting. He's just sitting there and he can just kind of move his finger a little bit. Shoot a fire blast at him occasionally to just like mess him up. That I think that would make for a fun action sequences. But I digress. Still, Wu is a great character. I think he is one of the better villains in the MCU. Like an A tier. My only issues is A, villain. He's not... A villain. He's just kind of a dude who is a little antagonisty. Uh, and then the ring gauntlets, while cool, I guess. I think they're better when Shang Chi ends up using them. He uses them in a lot more creative ways, which I will say, uh, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this a little later. Uh, actually, no, I'll, I'll talk about him now. Shang Chi uses the rings in a lot more creative ways. I think that is visually a lot more interesting. The way he uses them as like stepping stones and using them to. Uh, 
like they're all hovering around him. It's all they're always in a f uh, fluid state of motion. While when Win Wu uses them, they're 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 just like strict on his wrists. And I think that that works. I think that works because the way I see it, the rings are metaphorical for grief. The way Win Wu handles grief is this strict. He keeps it to himself and uses it to lash out at people and he dwells on it. He focuses it all in on himself and internalizes it while Shang Shang Chi is using it to grow and like be productive. It they're all, it's always fluctuating with the rest of his emotions. He's not keeping it to himself. He's being open with it and he's using it to build and be creative. Uh, Grant, like I said earlier, Shang-Chi's not, like, super interesting until you get to the end of the movie because he just kind of is riding the wave until it's time to confront his father. But on the metaphorical thematic side, I think that works with the rings. Uh, but yeah, Wenwu's good. Now, <laughs> the other two antagonists. First off, one of them dies... One of them is coming back for future MCU projects. Which one is which? A. Razor Fist. Or, yeah, Razor Fist. A man who just has an energy machete uh, embedded into his chopped off arm. Or Death Dealer. The guy who has trained the entirety of the Ten Rings in how to fight. Has a dope mask. Uh... Has apparently superior fighter, fighting skills to just about anyone. Almost like the death stroke of this of the MCU. Which one dies and which one's coming back? This guy dies. <laughs> Dude, oh my gosh. Okay. I'm not super familiar with the Shang-Chi comics. Uh... But what I have learned, Death Dealer's barely in the comics. He's in a few issues and kind of dies in his last appearance. And that was, that was years ago. That being said, this guy looks cool. Like that mask, the, the costume design for him is probably my favorite costume in the entire movie. However, Death Dealer is in three scenes in the film. He's in a scene where he's training Shang-Chi. He's in a scene where he's fighting Shang-Chi. And then he's in a scene in the village where he shows up and then he's just kind of in the background. And then when they introduce uh, the soul sucky demon bats that suck souls and take him to soul sucky demon dragon, he gets he's the first one who gets his soul sucked up because he's being a freaking idiot. And I'm like, dang, you did this dude dirty. Like, I'm not as pissed off at it as, say, Taskmaster. That genuinely, like, upset me. It was like, you, you did this character dirty with death dealer it's like dang this dude had some potential and you could have brought him back to be like this snake eyes storm shadow death stroke type character but instead you have him in three scenes and kill him off in the most uh anticlimactic way for how this character is built up and and depicted as in the movie so that's my thing on Death Dealer. He's like so inconsequential to the actual film. And then we got Razor Fist. This dude is in the movie probably three times as much as Death Dealer. <laughs> he 
as a character, I think he's fine. Like, if it was just based on the character, I think this dude would be, like, B or C tier uh, antagonist in the MCU. He's kind of, like, a bit of a dude, bro. Like, they steal his car at some point. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's my car. And he has, like, his name spray-painted on all on the roof and both sides of the car. So, like, clearly he's kind of in love with himself, but he's also, like, a bit of a dude, bro. Like, he, oh, yeah, I'm going to spray-paint my name on my car. That'd be pretty freaking lit. Yeah, man, let's do that. You know, he clearly is intimidating physically. Um, my issue is that this is one of the most ineffective weapons I've ever seen in a film. And this might just be my fault because I, I started watching this YouTuber uh, called Shadowversity uh, who makes videos about medieval weaponry and kind of takes modern movies and weapons certain characters use and kind of analyzes them in terms of their actual effectiveness if you were to actually try to use them that has started to kind of permeate my mind a little bit because i'm watching this especially after shad just did a video on the assassin's creed hidden blade and how that is kind of an ineffective weapon when you think about it this is very this seems like very similar properties of it would have been much easier to just get a robot hand and he could have held a machete like Shoot, I don't have anything machete-like. Well, pretend this my water bottle is a machete. If you have a machete right here, it, you could do that, you could do that, you could do this, you could stab, or you could go overhead, you can manipulate it to kind of work to your advantage. I'm going to get this picture off because I'm blocking myself off and <laughs> all that. But if your hand is literally just the blade... You can't, like, manipulate anything because you don't have a wrist anymore. So it's like, like... It's like that. Kind of. This is a horrible illustration. But instead of being able to move it around, it's stiff. And you can only go like this. You can go like this. You can go like this. Like, you have to contort your body to fight effectively. And even then, you're not going to be effective at all. And this man keeps coming back. And he's like a high-ranking... Uh, Ten Rings assassin, and I'm like, how the crap is this man able to do anything when he can't, like, this, this, the freaking Razor Fist Blade is so freaking ineffective, you see it on the freaking bus fight where, like, he's not doing anything to Shang-Chi, part of it's because Shang-Chi's a great fighter, but, like, the other part is, like, obviously this dude ain't gonna be able to kill anyone with that, if anyone knows how to fight, even in the slightest, I can guarantee, at the very least, if he comes at you with just his razor fist blade, you could probably fend him off by just going, nope, or like getting behind it because it's also one side, it was a one sided blade. So as long as you're not, you're literally not at the end of the points down this side, as long as you're on the dull side, you're good because he can't, he can't turn the blade to attack you from that side. He would have to literally turn his entire arm and that might be a nitpick but that bothered the crap out of me because i'm just like this man should not be alive this man should not be doing good at all as a freaking assassin it is the quintessential oh yeah this might look cool so let's just throw <laughs> even though practically this dude would be one of the most ineffective assassins of all time and yet he lives through the entire movie he somehow manages to not die from a soul-sucky demon bat. <laughs> and ends up being one of uh, Chi Ling's right-hand men 
in the Ten Rings. <laughs> I, this man really just fell, failed upwards. Because he didn't do anything effective in the entire movie. And now we're about to have to see him over and over again. Nothing against the actor. It's just the character should not be alive anymore. He's so incompetent, so ineffective, unpractical as crap. And this man is still alive. <laughs> I I don't know. That, that's, once again, that's also just something that's probably just me. It probably doesn't bother a lot of other people. Uh, this is what happens when you consume content that's, like, super analytical of specific things. And then suddenly you start watching movies that just... It's like one element of the of the mini in the film, and that one thing is gonna stick out and bother you. I got a buddy who's like really into gambling and and poker and all that kind of stuff. And this card counter movie's coming out uh, this upcoming weekend, I think. And he's like, he watched the trailer and said, "Nah, man, I'm not gonna like this movie at all because this man's counting cards for poker. You can't do that." I'm like, "I I don't play poker. I don't play blackjack." I don't know how any of that works. So when he just says, I'm counting cards for put insert card game here, I'm going to say, okay, that makes sense. But if you you play poker, you know you can't count cards in poker. But you can count cards in blackjack, but this guy's counting cards in poker. It's just, it's weird how, like, random interest can kind of bother you, even though it's, like, a very small part of the movie. Like, I'm sure how the card counter isn't entirely about this man counting cards. It's probably about him screwing over a criminal and now suddenly he's on the run or something but because of that one thing it just is gonna bother you and it is a massive negative <laughs> in your opinion uh but yeah <laughs> there's that uh we also got some cameos uh wong was fighting abomination in the underground fight club uh seems like Wong was training Abomination, which is making me think that this is a setup for the Thunderbolts. seems like Wong is kind of like a recruiter for both uh, the government or something like that because he's taking Abomination out of what seems like the raft to fight, train, make him make him better, take him back to the raft. So what I'm going to say is Wong, Wong comes in at the end of the movie to take Shang-Chi and Katie in to see uh, Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. And it seems like he's kind of recruiting people to be in the Avengers. And that might be what he's doing for with Abomination. But my other guess is Abomination will be on the Thunderbolts team, which has been heavily implied, I think. I don't know if anything's been confirmed on that front. But, I mean, we got Baron Zemo out there. I think Abomination was on the Thunderbolts once. Uh, someone might have to correct me on that. But... It, the Thunderbolts is basically just kind of Suicide Squad, kind of Evil Avengers, uh, and then there's the Dark Avengers, which I think the Thunderbolts became, where you basically just had evil versions of the main superheroes, so that's why I'm saying Abomination could probably be on the Thunderbolts, uh, and that's kind of my big theory, uh, and then we have Trevor Slattery, who's played a bigger role than I anticipated, uh, but I think he was a fun character to add. Uh, we're about 55 minutes into this, so I better wrap up. I just ranted about characters for a while. I need to talk about the story. Um, so just briefly, the first 10 minutes were great. That was the best part of the movie, showing us Wenwu's origin and where he came from. And he, he gave me a very big Vandal Savage feeling where he's been around for a while. 
uh, like he's been around for generations and he's just a conqueror and that's all he, that's, that's a lot of what he does. Uh, his budding romance with Shang-Chi's mother, I think was done really well. Uh, and then once we go to modern day San Francisco, I started to not like it as much because we had a bunch of really bad comedy, uh, which was another big thing that I think is against the movie. I think the humor was really bad. I didn't laugh once. Okay, I laughed once. <laughs> I, la I laughed one time. And that is all thanks to this man. This man was great. I loved him. Uh, Busman Clev. I love that this man just started up. I think this is a Facebook Live. Like the minute, minute Shang-Chi uh, started to fight Razor Fist on a bus, my boy Clev over here said, literally just goes, oh crap, pulls out phone. Yeah, what's up guys? Uh, I'm, I'm live on a bus. These two guys are like fighting. You know, I did some martial arts back in my day, so I'm going to film this. I'm going to give them some critiques. I freaking love that. I found that hilarious. Uh, and I think I found an image. I, I should have put it, grabbed it, but I found an image. I think this dude has been in the MCU before. I think he was in Spider-Man Homecoming. He was like the guy at the taco stand or whatever, or the hot dog vendor and was like, Hey, yo, go get him Spider-Man. And that was like the one guy <laughs> who was like cheering him on. Uh, I kind of hope they bring him back. Cause I think he, he's just naturally funny. Uh, he just kind of has this natural good humor. That was the only, Busboy Clev was the only dude who made me laugh in the movie. Uh, the rest of the humor I don't think worked quite as well. I think Ben Kingsley brought in some, some funny bits. The part where he pretended to be dead amongst all the carnage was a little bit, a little bit of good dark humor. Uh, but for the moment, I think it might have ruined it a little bit when you were supposed to feel the impact of all the dead people and... There's Trevor Slatter. You just go, oh, no, I'm not dead. I'm just, I'm acting. It's called acting. <laughs> you know? uh, pulls you out a little bit. And that's just kind of MCU stock humor. And it's it's beginning to just grate on me. It used to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, fun, funny MCU. And now it's just like, Shang-Chi should not be in any way a comedy. I think it would have worked a lot better as this serious fantasy Marvel epic. Uh, rather than, oh, well, we still got to throw jokey jokes in there. Might just be me. Uh, I think the first two acts are solid overall. The third act, uh, I think the emotional climax between Wu and Shang-Chi are good, uh, is good. But then Wu just gets killed by a big soul-sucky <laughs> demon bat thing, demon dragon. Uh, that just kind of inexplicably comes in at the end of the movie to just go, well, we need a final fight since Wu's Wu's a bit too sympathetic as a character and not really villainous. We got to have a big bad. Uh, and the entire time it's like, they kind of build it up, but we don't ever get to know what the heck the demon, the, the, the demon dragon is until we get to the village at the very beginning of Act 3 and they go, yes, we had to fight this demon dragon thing that sucks the souls of people and gets stronger off of it so we had to block him off with dragon scale and now your father is coming to free his wife but he's going to unknowingly unleash carnage on this world and the thing breaks free and they fight a little bit uh you know death dealer dies and uh why yoon's character guangbo dies and that's pretty much it. Like some nameless characters die and then they, they kill 
soul sucky demon dragon thing. Uh, Katie delivers the fatal blow to the neck that causes him to lose some of his powers. So as he's trying to suck the soul out of the great protector, white dragon, uh, and it, then they decide to Shrek him a little bit. <laughs> it's just a giant CGI fight. There's a, there were a couple of shots that were pretty cool, but the rest was just kind of... I really wish it was just like a hand-to-hand, uh, like all-out Jackie Chan, Jet Li fight type deal. You know, just these two guys going at it with this heightened flare of emotions rather than two... Two giant beasts who we don't ever see until the third act just kind of showing up and fighting a little bit and all of our main characters are just in the middle of it. It it didn't feel as emotionally resonant as everything with Wu before that happened. Uh, I liked the father and son relationship between uh, Shang-Chi and Wu. I really appreciate that. Uh... I once again like Winwu's motivation. I can I can definitely feel uh, like that's something I really connect with. Um, but yeah, it it that makes it hard for me to hate it. Is the father and son relationship, both of them dealing with grief, is just is is something that I, I connect to a lot, which is why it's very hard for me to go. Yeah, well, this is stupid. <laughs> so I can connect with that quite a bit, and that's why I'm I'm a little lighter on this movie. It sounds like I'm I'm ripping it, but I, I I still give it like a strong seven because I don't I can't find myself to hate it because most of my issues with it are a lot of net nitpicks and then like a few co- plot conveniences and then Aquafina's character until the third act. <laughs> uh, so there's not like a lot of big problems I have with it. Uh, this definitely sh- says to me. Hey, we're we're gonna recorrect a little bit. I'm still like not fully back on the MCU train, but I'm like, okay, well we'll see where this train goes. Um, but I also say this is probably gonna be the last Marvel movie I see in theaters for a while. I can just wait until Disney Plus or renting, because uh, it's just, I if I'm gonna go to a theater to see a movie, I I'm gonna be very picky about it from now on because there's so much coming out on streaming. And, you know, I got class and crap, so, well, if I don't go see The Eternals, uh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, I can I can shirk The Eternals real quick. Uh, but, yeah, don't expect this quite as often. I'll try, to, I'll try to make some more movie reviews of, like, new films. But, yeah, uh, let's wrap it up with talking about the post-credit scenes. Uh... The first one is when Shang-Chi and Katie go with Wong to the Sanctum Santorum to meet with uh, Hulk and Captain Marvel, or Bruce Banner, he's not in his Hulk form, but Bruce Banner, Captain Marvel, uh, to talk about the rings he has. They, like, treat it as, like, this special weapon, even though it's just kind of, once again, I think if they were the rings from the comics, I think this kind of mythology would have felt a bit more impactful. Uh, But it turns out there's a beacon in it, and it's signaling off-world. No one knows what it's made of. It's made of this m- mysterious material. Uh, and uh, we don't know what it is in the MCU. However, in the comics, they're made by uh, the Macluins, Mac- uh, which are like a very minor alien species in the comics. 
they're from Maklu 4, also known as Kakaranatha. And, uh, Kakaranathra. There it is. Uh, the only prominent Maklun in the comics. Uh, one, a personal, personal, like, fascination of mine, I guess, uh, is the Iron Man villain, because... You know, F it, like, let's just include iron, a butt-ton of Iron Man villains after he's dead. That That's a, another pet peeve of mine with the MCU is Iron Man was alive and he fought a couple of Avengers-level threats and then his own villains were Iron Monger, Whiplash, Justin Hammer, Knockoff, Mandarin, and that's it. Like, we, had, we could have had the Crimson Dynamo, Titanium Man, and this boy, Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that crap. So he belongs to a dragon-like species that kind of mostly resembles uh, Asian dragons, although this he also has wings like wyverns from uh, Western uh, dragon mythology. But when I was growing up, I watched, I think it was the superhero show. He was a prominent, or he was a recurring antagonist in it. He's this massive, like, monster movie type thing this guy predates uh i think uh, I, I read like a smidge of his wikipedia page but i was like uh basically reading up on his publication history this dude predates like the marvel or the superhero era of marvel comics he's been around since the 60s before marvel kind of committed to only being superheroes this way he was in a i think it was either strange tales or tales to astonish which was basically just marvel kind of writing whatever and just going let's come up with some weird concepts and characters like Stephen strange and ant-man took off from there and they said hey let, let's redirect and just focus in on the superhero stuff and we'll bring in characters like fin fang foom uh in occasionally and he became like a massive iron man villain i think he became a fa fantastic four villain uh but this might be opening the door for him to come in uh, and he might be the next Avengers level threat. Th that's might be what they're setting up, right? Is the next Avengers movie? They can't take on Kang the Conqueror yet. This is our next. Kang the Conqueror is our new Thanos. I know he's in the Loki show. I haven't seen the Loki show. I just know he's in it. He's going to be in Quantum Media a uh, couple years from now. So if Kang the Conqueror is our next Thanos, who is our next Loki? I think it's entirely feasible. Fin Fang Foom could be our next Loki because I think he also tends to be a bit of a chaotic neutral. He's not really fully evil, not really fully good. He's not a superhero. He's a he's like an antagonist to Iron Man and Fantastic Four, but he also just kind of does his own thing sometimes. Uh, so he could be our next Loki in that he starts out as a bad guy, becomes reformed, and kind of just does his own thing. Uh which would be fun. Also, he's massive. Here's a uh, here's an image of Fin Fang Foom fighting Thor for context. Like Thor, <laughs> like Thor fits inside of the palm of his hand. Uh, there's also there was also an image I found of him eating Spider Man, and like he could swallow Spider Man whole. Like this dude is massive. Uh, I, I should I just popped that up. <laughs> this image uh i'll put that away for now the next uh post credit scene is uh 
Chilings, Tin Rings, we see that she's in charge of it now. She's kind of made it a bit more punk grunge rock thing, <laughs> kind of matching her underground fight club. John John, uh, who was only in the fight club scene, didn't feel like bringing him up. And Razor Fist are standing at her side. And then the Tin Rings will return, which I figured, I don't know to what capacity, they might be the new replacement for the hand uh, from the Netflix Marvel stuff. Who knows? Uh, and the image I just threw up earlier, this could be where we're heading as well. So I, I mentioned Fin Fang Foom. Uh, also, I wanted to talk about what other possible direction they could be going with this. And one of them is Agents of Atlas. Uh, this is the, like one of the older iterations of the team. You got Namora, who is the female Namor, uh, 3D Man, <laughs> Gorilla Man, and uh, M11, the human robot. Uh, all these characters, uh, Marvel Boy. But I don't think this is where they're going to go with it. This is like the original incarnation, almost. You could probably argue that this is like the Marvel equivalent to the Doom Patrol, kind of just these weird, wacky, out-there characters. Uh, but the guy in the middle, we've seen him before. The team is led by a, uh, Jimmy Woo, who, if you've been paying attention to the movies, first popped up in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, he was in WandaVision, I think. Uh so we could be headed to an Agents of Atlas project. And the reason I say Agents of Atlas, Jimmy Woo leads it. And in the most recent incarnation, they formed an all-Asian team of it, which included Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. <laughs> so it includes Shang-Chi, Jimmy Woo, are the only two that we've seen in the MCU so far. It also included Silk, who is basically female... I think she's Korean, female Korean Spider-Man, uh, one of the many <laughs> existing tokenized Spider-Man, Spider-People. spider, spider people. Uh, You also had fan favorite Arrow, who has abilities over air, uh, White Fox, who re resembles a, I think it's a Kitsuki, Kinsuko, Kinsuka? I don't know, basically the thing that the Pokemon Ninetales is based off of, that's kind of what White Fox is. Speaking of which, they were also in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings uh, in the village. Uh, you also have Luna Snow, who I think is... I think she was like a singer in the comics. I'm not super familiar. These characters are like brand freaking new. And the only reason I knew they existed, I played Contest of Champions. <laughs> and they popped up as characters. But uh, Luna... Or yeah, Luna Snow, I think she, she has snow abilities. You have Crescent... Uh, and her bear, Io. Uh, she's a little girl who can conjure up this spirit bear, which I think is freaking epic. Uh, and then you have Amadeus Cho, who is the Asian Hulk, <laughs> also known as Braun. Then you have, I think his name's Swordmaster. Uh, but yeah, all these characters come together to form the Agents of Atlas. Uh, and I think this might be where we're headed, which, on one hand... More tokenization, obviously, is coming. But on the other hand, characters like Crescent, Arrow, Luna Snow, and White Fox and are, are just, A, such creative characters, and B, like, I love the character designs. I think the powers will be fun to see on screen, uh, especially seeing Crescent and Io, I think, would be neat. Uh, but this might be where we're hired. The other possibility is Heroes for Hire. I think Shang-Chi was a part of it for a little bit, but that would also open the door for... Luke Cage and Iron Fist to actually make 
the the big screen debut, especially if Charlie Cox is going to be in No Way Home. Uh, I think that would strongly indicate that Heroes for Hire is coming at some point via either Charlie Cox or Shang-Chi. Uh, but yeah, that is any and all thoughts I have on the movie. Once again, strong 7 out of 10. I think it's a solid debut for a Marvel movie. I had a very pleasant experience in theaters with it. Uh, I think in my ranking, it is somewhere in the mid-tier, but I did come off very positive, and I think re-watching through the MCU, this movie might move up because a lot of the movies above it are movies I haven't seen in a really long time, and I'm basically rating, uh, rating it off of when I was 14, 15, 16, when, the, when certain movies came out and how I felt at the time, and now my film taste and movie taste has evolved or regressed depending on who you are uh so i could see this movie moving up in my ranking currently for the year it is not in my top 10 movies of the year uh my top 10 seems to be pretty rigid especially my top five my my six through ten i can see maybe being knocked out a little bit but shang chi did not do that i think it is at my number 14 spot out of all 104 movies i have seen so far this year which is still pretty good it's in my top 20 of the year uh and it probably will stay there i don't foresee a lot of amazing movies coming out in the next oh how many months do we have left in the next three to four months but we'll see and once again at the end of the year i will give you my full ranking of uh Maybe every movie, but definitely in my top 10, maybe top 20, and my bottom 10, bottom 20 of the year. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to release radar. Let's wrap this episode up. We're about, <laughs> we are coming up on an hour and 15 minutes. This is about to be a long episode. So let's get to the release radar. Obviously, Shang-Chi came out this past weekend. Uh, it is set to break some pandemic box office records because every movie especially if it's a marvel movie has to come out and break some sort of record be some sort of stapler icon i don't get why it can't just be hey this movie came out and did pretty good for where we're at <laughs> but we'll see uh we'll see where the box office ends up tomorrow uh next is the first part of season five of money heist on netflix uh, this is a pretty popular Spanish show. Uh, this is one of the very few non-English speaking shows that I think is very popular amongst English speaking Americans, which is really neat. It's cool to see, uh, stuff like Money Heist or Parasite kind of jumping the language, uh, barriers to become culturally significant in countries that wouldn't be able to understand what they're doing or talking about without subtitles so i think that's an accomplishment of itself uh, i haven't seen it personally i've heard it's really good and i've been wanting to see it uh so get hyped for that what we do in the shadows uh season three is starting up one of my favorite current running comedies i've seen both uh both seasons that are currently out i think it's clever uh, it stars some really funny actors who aren't necessarily super popular, although our lead actor has been in some popular movies. He, he starred in Cruella earlier this year, which I just watched before recording this. 
Cruella is not a good movie. I might make an episode on it. But he's a good actor. I think he's hilarious. I think all the characters uh, are funny as crap. Taika Waititi is executive producing it because it's based off of the movie he directed. He stars in one of the episodes. Mark Hamill has been a guest on the show. Uh, have I given you enough reasons? Oh, it's a mockumentary about vampires. It's a mockumentary. That Mockumentaries are always great. Seeing vampires doing interviews and uh, getting into gang wars with werewolves or getting pissed at, at their neighbors or going to world... Uh, world council meetings or whatever it's a funny show i think it's fun to see these vampires trying to operate in the current culture and climate uh and that just makes for a very interesting and funny show and lastly we got yet another cinderella movie coming out on amazon prime i forget who this lady is who stars in it uh but yeah it probably isn't good but hey you know if you like cinderella if you like the original disney one or the uh i think it's a Grimm's fairy tale <laughs> story uh shoot why not you know it it can't be worse than some other movies that came out this year right <laughs> uh i'm sure that it ev invokes some confidence right <laughs> uh but yeah that's what was on my radar for what came out this week um so go check those out if you feel like it if you don't uh i don't blame you Finally, uh, here are my weekly recommendations. First one, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Uh, I am a big fan of the first one. Uh, bought it on Blu-ray, watched it, really loved it, and was surprised not enough people talked about it. Then I found out there was a sequel. And I said, oh, this, this movie's got to be awful. <laughs> this movie's got to be bad if no one talks about the sequel to the movie that I barely hear about. Uh, I looked up a few reviews and people are going, oh, no it's pretty like it's coming from people who aren't huge fans of the first one but watched the second one and said no this is an improvement i said there's no way this is better and i watched it and i fell freaking in love i think both hellboy and hellboy 2 are some of the best cape flicks coming out or not coming out that have come out in the past 20 years uh i think both of them are excellent films this movie deals with hellboy potentially being a father uh relational issues struggling to fit in in a world that hates him while the villain is preying upon that and he thinks that he, all human all humans hate all monsters and he says when it comes down to it it's going to have to be between humans or monsters i choose monsters my own kinds and i'm going to be i'm going to have to do something premature before the humans ever strike at us uh really good movie Really fun action, directed by Guillermo del Toro, so you know it's going to have this fun look to it. Uh, the makeup and the the uh, set designs are amazing. Good job on that. But yeah, excellent movie. Next, we got Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I watched this a couple of days ago. It is a semi-mockumentary, somewhat horror comedy uh, movie about a guy named Leslie Vernon being inspired by the likes of, in this world, real-life killers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers, and he says, I'm going to be the next big serial killer. So he walks this uh, team of graduate students through his process as they film him, and then you finally see his plan execute in full. 
Uh, and it's a fun movie. I don't think it's amazing. The only reason I put it on here, I think it's something that if you're a horror fan, you definitely should watch because it is one of the best horror comedy movies that br- uh, that most effectively breaks down the tropes. Scream started this, and Scream, I think it's much better. <laughs> but this movie manages to meticulously take every almost every little trope and break it down to where... Leslie Vernon goes, no, this is just the way it is, and this is how I'm going to plan for that, right? Where there's a scene where he's hitting a punching bag, and he's running, and they're like, what are you doing? He goes, dude, I got to keep up with cardio. I can't, you know, these people are freaking running, and they turn, and I got to be walking really menacingly towards them, but when they turn around, I got to run around to the other side of the building, right? He's doing this, like, dexterity training. He's reading books up on Harry Houdini so he can learn to be in one location, slip slip away without anyone noticing and popping up somewhere else, getting trapped somewhere and being able to escape effectively. It's like all of this training that is going into a tr- stereotypical horror movie slasher. And I think that is just so fun, so uh, such a fun time. It's just the horror elements that didn't work uh, towards the end when they stopped doing the mockumentary stuff to do this typical slasher. The major plot twist, in my opinion, was really obvious. Uh, And there are decisions that our film crew make that I think is dumb, considering the knowledge that they do have. But besides that, it's a really fun movie. I definitely recommend it for horror movie fans. Uh, If only just to see it and say you've seen it. it. For me, it's one of those movies where I love a lot of the ideas... The execution left a little bit to uh, to desire, but overall, still solid. And finally, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, 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 directed by Wes Anderson, starring a great cast. You got Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, uh, who else is in there? William Defoe, Kate Blanchett, solid, solid cast. I think it is one of uh, Wes Anderson's funniest movies. Uh, most certainly his maybe strangest about this crew just kind of going on this quest to look for a leopard uh what was it it was a leopard shark no it was a uh, tiger sh- no tiger sharks and leopard sharks exist was it, a, it was, i think it was a jaguar shark that uh killed steve zizou's buddy so they're going on this revenge mission while uh owen wilson shows up and goes hey steve zizou you're my dad and so Steve's having to deal with this. I think this has the best blend between Wes Anderson acting comedy with actual genuine emotions and emotional complexity. Uh, I think this is just a great movie. Standouts for me, Bill Murray and, and uh, William De- Willem Dafoe were both um, like hilarious. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check it out. Uh, I think it's worth it, especially if you like Wes Anderson. But yeah, we are an hour and 23 minutes, I think, into this podcast episode, and I'm going to wrap it up here. I want to thank all of you, you watching, you listening, and everyone else who's doing whatever. (laughs) Thank you for watching and listening to this episode of the Cinema Lounge podcast. I truly, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you listening all the way to the hour and 23 minute mark uh 
listening to my dumb self try to explain my thoughts on different movies. But hey, you know what? I appreciate you're here. Uh, if you do enjoy this podcast, if you made it all the way here uh, and you hated it, I don't, I don't know why you're here, <laughs> frankly. But if you are here and you loved it... Uh, Go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Click the notification bell if you're on YouTube. And subscribe to us on Rumble if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a follow. Give us a five-star review because that helps us out a lot. Uh, anyway, I would definitely appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, my name's Garrett Inman. Uh, <laughs> this has been the Cinema Lounge Podcast where we chill and talk about Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings or The Legend of the Ten Rings. And that has been all for tonight. Y'all chill out. I love y'all. Take it easy. Don't get worked up over anything. Anything and everything. All of the time. But, always remember, Razor Fist Weapon is freaking stupid. It is the most illogical thing I've ever seen a human being use in a Marvel movie. Why did they think that was a good idea? Holy freaking crap, that ruins the entire movie. It's a 0 out of 10 now. F this, F this movie, F the MCU. I love you all. <laughs>